0: Hebrews chapter 11, verse 30, says this. It says, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. By faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens, women received their dead, Raised to life again Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trials of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with a sword. They were wandered about in sheepskins and goat skins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. Of whom the world was not worthy, they wandered in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this word. We pray that you open it up uh, to us this evening. Lord, we come here to change. And we believe what your word says that by and through your word and the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us, we change, Lord, even as we uh, hear from you and allow the word to do its perfect work in our lives. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, you may be seated. So Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it's it's sort of the pivotal verse of this chapter. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. We want to know as much as there is to know about faith, because we want to please God. And so now the world throws around terms like faith and faith in God uh, to the point that there's very real little understanding of what faith really is. There's all kinds of misconceptions about faith. For example, many people believe that we're born with faith. That we're born with faith. We come out of our mother's wombs with faith in God. But the Bible teaches no such thing. The Bible teaches... Quite the opposite, Colossians one twenty one says this, that uh, when we were born, when you were born, uh, you were separated from God. You were an enemy of God in your mind. It uses that word enemy. And you may say, well, enemy, that doesn't describe me. God has always been my friend. I've always been a friend of God for as long as I remember. Well, when Colossians says that you were born an enemy of God, actually it says enemy of God in your mind or in your life, it's not suggesting that you know you were putting posters up in your room of God and throwing rocks at them or something like that. That's not what it's talking about. But it means that by your life and by the choices you made, you lived as an enemy. God's word, for example, says to tell the truth. But you lied. God's word says not to steal, but you stole. God's word says not to covet, not to long for what is not yours. And you you, we, me, I, all of us spent a lot of time longing for what we did not have, coveting. So we like to think that we grew up as friends of God. That sounds warm and fuzzy, but it's just not true. In the dictionary, one of the definitions of enemy is... Opposing the interests of another. Opposing the interests of another, an enemy. God has an interest. He's got a design for your life. But prior to Jesus Christ, you lived in opposition to it. That's what the Bible says. And so prior to Christ, a man, a woman lives with self on the throne rather than God on the throne opposing the interest of the Lord. So faith, we're not born with it. However, here's the good news, that we are born with a longing for it. We're born for a longing for a relationship based on faith. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes, God has put eternity in the hearts of men, and he's done that from birth, from the womb, from conception, from conception. You're born with a longing for a relationship with the Lord that's based on faith. And the good news is that God gives it freely. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, that's about oh, 50 pages to the left of Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews, uh, rather, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, says this, And you He made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works, In the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all, underline that word all, all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others, but God, who is rich in mercy... Because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, it's by grace that you have been saved. And then go down to verse 8. It says, by grace you have been saved. Through faith, there's that word faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of, of God, So we read there, it is the gift of God. So we are not born with faith, but faith is given to us as a gift. We're not born with faith. We can't manufacture it, but we have a longing for it. And so God replaces the spirit of disobedience, which was in us, and he replaces it with faith in him. And that faith saves us. It saves you. It saves you from hell. It saves you from misery and sorrow and a torment in this life and in the life to come. It, it saves you from that. That's what faith does. Saving faith. Now, many people wrongly believe, remember we're talking about misconceptions about faith starting off this morning, they wrongly believe that the story of faith ends there with salvation when they accept Jesus in their heart through faith, that it ends with, it begins and ends right there, but not so. In fact, that's only the starting line of faith. God has a glorious race for you to run, and it is a race run by faith God gives us a faith not only to save us, but also to do a work in and through us to glorify Him. And that's why we are studying Hebrews chapter 11. It's all about faith, this chapter. And so back with me, please, in Hebrews chapter 11. Now we read in the beginning of this chapter, this chapter about men and women who God put on a race of faith, which he puts you on as well after he saves you. And they're here for our example. We read at the beginning of the chapter about Abraham. He's the father of faith, he's called. In verse 8, it says, He went out not knowing where he was going. And uh, that's often the case with faith. God is calling us to do something or be someone, and we don't have the slightest idea of how he's going to do this thing that he's called us to. And so we also read about uh, Moses, who by faith delivered Israel. Verse 29 uh, says that, it speaks of the parting of the Red Sea, uh, that event, the parting of the Red Sea, almost synonymous with faith in God. We read in verse 30 about Jericho, walls surrounding Jericho, 50 feet high, um, 20 feet thick. The first thing the children of Israel encountered when they came into the promised land, and the Lord said, take it. And they're like, how, how, Lord, how are we supposed to take this? And he said, march around it seven times and shout. And they said, what? But th- by faith, they did it. And in verse 30, it says, they, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. And then in verses 31 and 32, where we were a couple weeks ago, it speaks of Rahab, Gideon, Barak, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel. And that says in verse 33 it says, Who through faith subdued kingdoms? They conquered entire kingdoms that were coming against them. By faith in God, the kingdoms were defeated. Faith has a way of shaking up the heavens. And, 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 and the power of God just pouring out, because of faith, pouring out in and around us. Verse 33 again said, it says, "Through faith, they subdued kingdoms and they worked righteousness. They worked righteousness, meaning, listen, in the face of unfathomable evil. They took a stand for righteousness, and what happened? Lo and behold, righteousness prevailed. And we have seen this throughout our study in the Old Testament uh, on Sunday nights, periods of history in in, in the nation of Israel where there was such a cloud of evil throughout the land. It was so utterly pervasive. The thought of trying to come against it uh, just seemed utterly ridiculous. Why even try? Why even try to take a stand for righteousness? The best thing to do is hide But they did try. They did by faith. And verse 32 says, they worked righteousness, meaning that that against all odds, righteousness prevailed. What a lesson for us today. Verse 33 continues. It says, they obtained promises, they stopped the mouths of lions. They quenched the violence, verse 34, of fire. They quenched the violence of fire, meaning they stopped the violence of fire. What does that mean? Well, this could be a reference to child sacrifice at the time. You read about this practice in several places of the Old Testament. One of the um, pagan gods, Molech, They had an image of Molech, a large life-size image with iron arms outstretched like this. And they would heat up the arms until their arms were red hot. And then men and women would offer uh, offer up their babies on these red hot arms. The violence of fire. And this was happening. And so we read here that by faith they stopped the violence of fire could also be referring to Shadrach, Meshach, uh, and Abednego in the book of Daniel who were threatened with the violence of fire, the fiery furnace, but the fire was quenched and they lived. I Meaning it was it, it had no power over them and they lived and they did that all by faith. Verse 34 continues. They escaped the edge of the sword. They escaped the edge of the sword. Out of weakness, they were made strong. They became valiant in battle. They turned to flight the armies of aliens, meaning the armies of enemy nations, enemy armies. By faith, they came against them, sometimes with the odds that were just literally absurd. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago in the book of Judges, Judges chapter seven. Gideon led an army of 300 men against 120,000 Midianites. And I love reading uh, the declarations and the proclamations of faith that were made immediately prior to going out um, against these, these enemy armies. Oh, the faith that was required to, to rise up uh, against an army that vastly outnumbered them. And, and you know, you, we should keep in mind, by the way, in ancient times, you lose, a, you lose a battle. And not only you are killed, but your wife and your children are killed as well, or worse. We need sometimes to just step into these stories, these real-life historical events in the Bible, and and remember how they, ordinary people, just like you and me, were able to declare right before um, Gideon uh, went out, 300 men against 120,000 Midianites. Uh, Gideon cried out, Arise, people, arise, for the Lord has delivered the camp of Midian." into your hand. And they went out and, you know, and it happened. In 2 Chronicles 14, Israel faced an army of one million men. One million men. In 2 Chronicles 14, verse 11, the king at the time, Asa, cries out a declaration of faith. He says, Lord, it is nothing for you to help whether with many or with those who have no power. Help us, O Lord, for we rest on you. And in your name we go out against this multitude, O Lord. You are our God. Do not let man prevail against you. In 2 Chronicles uh, uh, 20, King Jehoshaphat faced a similar uh, uh, thing, a great multitude. He and all Israel with him cried out to God. It says, O God, we have no power against this multitude that has come up against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are on you. A declaration of faith. In uh, chapter 32 of 2 Chronicles, Sennacherib. King of Assyria surrounded Jerusalem with hundreds of thousands of soldiers. The Assyrian army had just wiped out every other city and nation in the known world. Slaughtered them. Now they're surrounding uh, Jerusalem after steamrolling everything and everybody in their path. And In 2 Chronicles, they surround Jerusalem and they're mocking them and their king, King Hezekiah. And the children of Israel are on top of the wall that surrounded Jerusalem looking at these, uh, these enemies. And, and the king, Sennacherib, cries out to them and he says, he says to the people on the walls because he wanted them to surrender, he said, listen, you people of Israel, were the gods of the nations we just defeated in any way able to deliver their lands out of my hand? Do not let your king, King Hezekiah, deceive you or persuade you like this. And do not believe him, for no god or any nation has been able to deliver a people out of my hand. How much less will your God deliver you out of mine? And upon hearing this, Hezekiah went into the temple and he bowed down to the Lord and actually records this in Isaiah chapter 37. Hezekiah cries out, Truly, Lord, the king of Assyria has laid waste to all nations. They have cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Now therefore, O Lord our God, save us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are the Lord and you alone. And i got to tell you, when I hear prayers like that, they just fire me up. They just fire me up. I mean, I want to go out into battle. El Shaddai, almighty God, his power being released by uh, uh, declarations of of faith. And so much, you know, the the power of God so unleashed, by the way, that that many times uh, all a man or woman had to do was sit back and watch the salvation of the Lord. And the declaration of David when he came against Goliath in 1 Samuel 17, he, what did he declare to Goliath when the rest of the nation of Israel was just cowering and hiding and ashamed? He just went out right in front of Goliath and yelled out at him, you come against me with sword and spear. I come against you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. Wow, I just love that. And so many of these times, by the way, literally, literally, the people of Israel did nothing. And, and that's what, you know, the case with Gideon, Asa, and Jehoshaphat, and Anne Hezekiah, they did nothing. All of a sudden, after their prayer of faith, the enemies of God turned against each other or there was some natural calamity or or whatever, and they were utterly destroyed. Now, in the case of David, yeah, he threw a rock, but let me tell you something. After making that declaration of faith, he could have thrown that rock blindfolded and backhanded. You know, that thing was going to Goliath's forehead. You know, nothing was stopping that rock from going right on that guy's forehead, But that's you know this is what faith does. It opens up the heavens, and the power and the glory of God is unleashed. That's why the life with God is just, in many respects, is just an exciting adventure. And verse thirty-five of chapter eleven goes on. It says, "Women receive their dead raised to life again." This is probably referring to the story in 1 Kings 17 where Elijah raises the son of the widow of Zarephath after crying out to God by faith. Or It may refer to Elisha raising the Shunammite son from the dead in 2 Kings chapter 4. Tremendous deliverances by faith. And these stories are here to encourage us, encourage you. How many times in our own lives have we prayed and there's been a great deliverance? I have no doubt if I opened up a microphone up here to to the church, we'd be here for hours. There'd be a long line just listening for hours how the Lord has delivered with the prayer of faith from cancer, from financial ruin, Relationships that have been restored, delivered. Examinations at school which you should have failed. But you got an A plus. The Lord delivered you. Testimonies of deliverance. Some of you may have been in open combat in a war zone and delivered. Deliverance from natural disasters. My mother's here with me this morning. You want to raise your hand, Mom? It's my mom. Say hi to Mom. Hi, Mom. I remember about 18 years ago, she was living in South Florida, uh, and Hurricane Andrew was headed right for her. She was living in Pompano Beach, and she called me up and she goes, What am I going to do? Hurricane Andrew is coming right at me. Level four hurricane. Unbelievably destructive. Well, I didn't want her to be alone, so I said, well, why don't you head down to Stephanie's parents' house? It was about an hour and a half south in Homestead. So she she took off, and she went down there. What happened? The hurricane changed course and headed directly towards her. (laughs) Does anyone need counseling? I'm available after the service. I give really solid counseling. So Hurricane Andrew hit Stephanie's parents' house full force. The house was destroyed. My mother and Stephanie's parents and her sister huddled up inside in a hallway in the interior of the house crying out to God. And the Lord protected them. Oh, the testimonies of God delivering by the prayer of faith. See, I knew I would want a sermon illustration someday. That's why I told her to go down there. Not really. Not really. But the testimonies we have in this church of ministries breaking up strongholds through the prayer of faith, unleashing the power of God, opening up heaven, and seeing just the power of God just come down uh, among us, lives that have been brought back from complete, utter, total ruin. People have showed up at our doorsteps, trashed their lives. Homeless because of drugs, alcohol, sexual addiction. I don't know how many people in this church were at one point homeless, literally, because of heroin, crack cocaine, whatever, severe mental illness, depression, psychosis, the prayer of faith and the almighty deliverance. God is faithful. Just to cry out to, to, uh, to God by faith and see him deliver, what a privilege that is. But brothers and sisters, the chapter does not end there. It doesn't end there at the beginning of verse 35. It continues in verse 35 and it says, Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. So here we read, about men and women who were tortured. They were not delivered. There was no deliverance. And here's what is so critical. If you miss this, you will miss the very core of the life of following Jesus Christ. The same faith that was being exercised by men and women of God in verses 33 and, uh, through 34 is the very same faith that was being exercised in verses 36 through 37 where there is no deliverance. God chose no deliverance. It says in verse 36, it says here, still others. Now that word other, it is the Greek word heteros. It means something of a different kind. Heteros. Something of a different kind. Listen, there is a work of faith of a different kind that God chooses at certain seasons of our life, and maybe for some, an entire life. And there's a work of faith in our lives where there is no immediate deliverance. There may, in some cases, not at all no deliverance. And again, listen, the same faith that is required when God chooses to use you to part the Red Sea is there for you to exercise when God doesn't want to part the Red Sea. The same faith that, that, that um, is required when uh, you know, kingdoms are subdued, works of righteousness uh, overcome evil, uh, stopping the mouths of lions, the violence of fire, the edge of the sword, it, it is also required when God chooses not to deliver Again, Hebrews 11.36, Still others had trials of mockings. Trials of mockings. Listen, you may not have to deal with the mouth of a lion or a fiery furnace or an army of a million soldiers, but if you're living in the United States of America, you will be you will suffer rather a trial of mockings. You'll be mocked for your belief in Christ. And there may be no deliverance at all from it. Now remember in verse 33, we talked about how through faith men and women worked righteousness, meaning the mockers of that day were silenced. But here in verse 36, the same kind of work of faith, uh, but of a different kind. It says the mockers are not silenced. And brothers and sisters, sometimes that's the way it is. And listen, it takes the same kind of God-given, God-gifted, only from God kind of faith to persevere. Verse 36 continues. Still others had the trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonments, no deliverance. Verse 37 says, they were stoned. They were sawn in two. According to tradition, the prophet Isaiah was sawn in two with a wooden saw as if an iron saws. Hard, not not bad enough, a wooden saw. No deliverance. They were tempted. They were slain with the sword. Verse 37 continues. Now the apostle Peter and the apostle James were both imprisoned at about the same time. One was delivered, lived another 30 years by faith. The other was what? He was slain by the sword. Both were works of faith. And in each trial, a man, by faith, going through it. One, the Lord just chose. I I want you around for another 30 years, Peter. And the other was taken immediately to the Lord. Verse 37 continues, "They They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, Tormented, of whom the world was not worthy, they wandered in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. Again, if you live in the United States of America, listen. You will, will be isolated if you are living by faith for your belief in Christ. You will feel all alone because of your belief in Christ. You will feel desolate, sometimes desolate and afflicted, as it says uh, there in verse uh, 37. You will. And listen, sometimes there may be no deliverance from it. Some of you uh, may be in this situation now, maybe in school and work or your family, whatever. 2 Timothy 3.12 says this, Everyone who seeks to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So if there's no persecution in our life, we have to just reflect, not here to condemn anyone or to make anyone feel condemned, but if there is no form of isolation or affliction in your life, you need to reflect, am I living a godly life in Christ Jesus? Because the verse says it right here, 2 Timothy 3.12, everyone who seeks to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's a promise. Not one of the promises that you'll find in one of those little books uh, in the Christian bookstore, 100 Promises from the Lord. It was actually supposed to be 101. They left this one out. There will be isolation and loneliness that comes with a life of faith, but the Lord is faithful. He may not deliver you from the trial, but listen, He will be with you in the trial. And listen, this is what is so key. It is so critical. This is the heart of the life of following Jesus. A God-gifted faith says, Lord, if you deliver me from this situation, I love you. If you don't, I love you. If you choose to heal me, Lord, I love you. If you choose not to, Lord, I love you. If I keep this job, Lord, Lord, you are good. You always have been. If I lose this job, Lord, you are so good. You're everything to me, Lord. If I live, I'll praise your name. If I don't, it's for your glory, Lord. If It's not deliverance I want, Lord. It's you. I want you, Lord. Whether you take me, whether somehow you, you take me out of this, this miserable situation or, or not. It's you that I want, Lord. I want you more than I want. Promotions at work, successes at school, more than I want a husband, more than I want a wife, more than money, more than comfort, more than security. I want you, Lord. One of the most glorious verses in the entire Bible, the book of Job, Job 13, 15. Though he slay me, yet I will trust him. Though he Slay me. Job thirteen fifteen. I will trust him. Cut that one out and put it over your doorpost. <laughs> because it's the very heart of the life with Jesus. And here's what's so amazing to me. It's with this that Hebrews chapter 11 finishes and climaxes. The very climax of one of the most Famous chapters of the Bible. This is what it's about. Faith in suffering. Faith in suffering. Faith in suffering. You know, you got to wonder why. Why, why does what this, you know, other than 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the, the love chapter, why is it that this chapter, the faith chapter, probably the second most famous chapter in the Bible, why does it it climax? Why does it end with this? Faith and suffering. It's because I believe the witness of a man or woman who follows Jesus, who by faith endures suffering, perseveres through a trial, loving God in a season of their life where there's great affliction, living through a season where there's seemingly no end, and there's Seemingly no deliverance. I believe that that witness is infinitely more powerful, more fruitful than any other witness there is. Certainly, certainly greater than uh, the the witness or a testimony of a life of faith where there's great deliverances. It's just much more powerful. And, and I, I think it's just because suffering is something that, that is so much a part of this fallen world and people relate so much to it. And so when they see someone persevering through faith uh, uh, in, in suffering, it just has an enormous impact on their lives. So I want to end here with um, verses 39 and 40. Then I want to end with, uh, close with another scripture. But verses 39 says, And all these... Having obtained a, gr- a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. Uh, what's it referring to? It's referring to uh, the fact that when they were living by faith, they didn't even have the benefit of the, the record of the crucifixion and the resurrection and of God pouring out his spirit on his people. We have that, and God wants to open up his heavens and pour out his power on us, whether it's for deliverance or whether it's for a season of suffering or a life of suffering. He wants to, do, he, he wants to use us. He has, has a purpose for our life. How sad it is when there's people out there, and, and we're all surrounded by them. There's no purpose for their life. They wouldn't sacrifice their life for anything. There is nothing in their life where they would say, you know, I wouldn't give up my life for that. That is tragic. That is a wasted life. But we have Jesus Christ. We have something that is so... Precious, so infinitely glorious, so something so worth dying for and giving our life up for. I want to close, actually in the book of Acts. Please turn with me to Acts chapter 16. In Acts chapter 16, we find ourselves right in the middle of one of the events of the life of the Apostle Paul, and he's in the Greek city of Philippi, and many people are being saved and coming to the Lord. They're hearing this, the message of Jesus Christ, how there's abundant life Uh, on this world and there's eternal life, everlasting life uh, with Jesus Christ and they're turning to him and Paul heals uh, uh, this girl who's demon possessed, who's a fortune teller who had been making a lot of money for her masters. They become infuriated, they stir up the people, uh, other people, people who had not been saved uh, against them. It says in verse 32, the multitude rose up uh, together against them and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes or beatings on them, no deliverance. You know, there are times in the Bible where right before a beating or whatever, someone by faith prays for a deliverance and it's given. Not here, no deliverance. Still just as much faith, more faith to go through a beating than to be saved from it. It says, when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. So they're sitting in jail. Paul and Silas. It says at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns. Brothers and sisters, that's faith. That is a work of faith. And that's a work of faith that the Lord wants to do in your life. At midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Underline that. We're listening to them. If you have a pen or pencil, that's a good thing to underline. We're listening to them. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed the keeper of the pr- and the keeper of the prison awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open supposing the prisoners had fled drew his sword and was about to kill himself verse 28 Paul called with a loud voice saying, Do yourselves no, do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, ran in, and fell down, trembling before Paul and Silas, and he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And so they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved you and your household. And then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house, and he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes, and immediately he and all his family were baptized. The work of faith that the Lord did here, they had open wounds all over their back in an incredible amount of pain. They're sitting in prison. They may have thought, some ministry I have. You know, I just stirred up the whole city. Everyone's angry, for, uh, angry with me. I'm in, the, in prison. There was no deliverance. At least not yet. And so what did they do? What did the work of faith look like? With, with no deliverance, in the middle of suffering, they, pr- they prayed, it says, in, in verse 23, and they sang hymns. And the prisoners, was listen- prisoners were listening. Who else was listening? Jailer. And so after, you know, the calamity, after the problem happened and the earthquake and the release, this guy knew, <laughs> this jailer knew, these guys have something that I don't have. You know the Lord is so wonderful because um, he He just speaks to us, and he uh often in my own devotion time and i 've talked about this before the lord will the Lord will just confirm he'll confirm a message that i'm about to give on Sunday morning and so I open up to my devotion time this morning and this was uh This was the passage. It was in um, Acts chapter 16. Now, I hadn't included Acts chapter 16 here at the end of my sermon. I decided to do it when I opened up. And and here, it's Acts chapter 16. And the very uh, first, first thing that I read in my devotional was this. Faith is not something of our own making. Sounded like the very first line of my sermon. It was the very first line of my sermon. And here it was being confirmed. And so I thank you, Lord, for doing this. And he's so faithful to do that. But it says, faith is is not something of our own making. It is something that God works into a broken and repentant heart. A heart that wants to change. A heart that wants to come to him. A heart that wants to give up living for its own and, and start living for God, living for something else. Faith is not something of our own making. It is something that God works in a broken and, and repentant heart. Uh, this morning, we're going to conclude the service with communion. Actually, if the worship team can come up. We're going to have communion this, uh, this morning. And communion was something that Jesus actually started the very same night he was arrested the night before he was crucified He's with his disciples at the last supper he said take this bread and with it remember my broken body take this wine with it remember the blood that is poured out and When Jesus introduced communion, he did it for the body of Christ, meaning he did it for people who had given their life to him. Communion is not for everyone. It's not for everyone who just walks, happens to walk through the doors of a church. It's for people who have given their life to Christ. Maybe you are here this morning, and you, like the jailer, you have never given your life to Jesus, but you, there's a brokenness in you and God is working his faith in you and you want to. You want to give your life to Jesus. And who knows? Maybe you, you, know, you took communion as a child. You may have grown up in a church. I grew up in the church and had no idea what it meant to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. But God has done a work in you and you, like the jailer, you're thinking, what can I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? Well, the, we just read it. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you're saved. It's not about your good works, not about a good life, not about hanging out in a church or a Sunday school or being co- going to First Communion, growing up, none of that. It's just simply believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, what he did for you on the cross.